Hi, everyone. This is Abhishek from ShakeTheCosmos.com. If you're listening, hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on the future episodes, which are released every Tuesday. Also, give this episode a rating. Give it some love stars. They'll help me be in the organic searches. I'm really excited uh, for my guest today, Diego Mian. I always enjoy catching up with Bowden friends and really feels like family when I'm, whenever I'm talking to him. And if you don't know Diego, Diego is an assistant professor of English and Africana Studies at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. Broadly, he situates his current research at the intersection of Black Studies and Humor Studies. He is working on a book manuscript that brings us together, tentatively titled Laughter's Fury, the Double Bind of Black Laughter. This project examines the cultural politics and critical traditions that structure the rationalizations of laughter. For more on this, go to diegomillan.com. That's Diego, M-I-L-L-A-N.com. From 2016 to 2018, he was a Presidential Diversity Postdoctoral Fellow at Brown University's Pembroke Center, where he taught two courses in the Gender, gender and Sexuality Studies program, one on American regionalism and another on laughter, resistance, and African-American literature. He received his PhD from Tufts University Department of English in 2016. He's a Mellon Mays Fellow and a Posse Scholar. He dreams of one day having an avocado tree that fruits. Thank you so much for being on the show, Diego. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me. Awesome. Well, we'll start with the fun stuff right away and get that out of the way before we not have fun. How is the avocado tree doing and what's what's the story behind that? <laughs> oh, man. So the, the story behind that is uh, I was born in Chile and I grew up eating avocados. I mean, avocados are... Uh, ubiquitous in a Chilean household. And even when we were younger, we would buy them and they were not as prominent as they are now. So I always had a taste for them. Um, and then I've always wanted one and I've never lived in a climate that let me like get an avocado tree or anything. But once COVID hit, I actually <laughs> decided to take a pit from an avocado and try to get it to sprout. And it did. So uh, and that's that's it's not easy. I've heard to just get the pit to grow. I tried like three or four of them. So yeah, I mean, I had one success out of four. So yeah, I guess the chances are low. And then getting them to even fruit that that's the next goal, and that won't be for another few years. But the the plant is 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 there. It's beautiful. It's got a stem and these beautiful like big leaves. Um, if you remind me, I'll send you a picture. Uh, you can take a look for yourself. But I love it. I love it very much. And it was really cool to take it from something I ate and then just actually propagate or whatever the word would be when you get the, the pit to kind of take root and then grow. Well, congrats on that. That's awesome. I'm glad uh, the dreams are coming true of avocado tree. Um, so, you know, we're gonna, I'm, we're gonna jump right into the topic of today, which is, a, you know, calling. And uh, I know you're really passionate about something in particular, I'll let you kind of talk about that. So we'll just jump right into it. What is like, what is your calling as you uh, currently stand today? You know, for so many years, I, I didn't like resist it. I've always thought of myself as a kind of teacher or an educator or somebody in the classroom, um, working in a university setting. And so I think like my, I feel like my calling is maybe, um, like education or, or teaching. Um, I've always, gotten a lot out of the classroom space. I kind of uh, have 
over the years come to think of it as a sacred space where something beautiful and magical can happen. It doesn't always happen. And, and, and that can be through a variety or for a variety of reasons. But uh, in terms of where I position myself, it's, it's really as a, a guide sounds awkward. Um, facilitator sounds awkward. Sideline coach sounds a bit weird, but all of these at once, plus um, somebody who spent longer with the material than any of my students necessarily uh, may have, um, and certainly not all of the things I teach. So um, it's just kind of great. I mean, the, the students here at WNL are uh, fantastic, and they really bring a lot of joy into my classroom spaces, and, and we have a lot of fun. But yeah, slowly but surely, I think I've come to the realization that that my calling is kind of uh, teaching and. I trace it all the way back to our time at Bowdoin uh, when, you know, you're in those classes and your professor's like, one of the assignments is going to be that you're going to lead discussion for like 10 or 15 minutes. And, and I loved it. I never, I, I, um, I never thought twice, like I, I prepared and then I'd go in and it was most often in um, professor Guy Mark Foster's class in the English department. He'd have us do this. And at the end he'd just be like, Whoa, like that was cool. And I just felt like, yeah, um, and that was at the beginning, right? That good feeling of teaching, but it becomes so much more after the years of practice. And it really is kind of like a practice. That's awesome. Um, and I like how you're talking about different things, you know, folk calling being the teaching, but then you're, you're going through these labels. Oh, what about being a guide or a coach? Or I feel like, you know, we, sometimes it's hard to put a label on what type of role accomplishes the calling. And like, did it, um, like, did you kind of like, there's so many things you can focus on. Like, did you, were you finding that this is something you were just doing naturally and effortlessly that? Uh, I want to say no. I want to say no, only because growing up, I was always a kind of quiet, self-conscious person who was like worried about being seen. And to many, in many ways, that's still true. Um, I sometimes jokingly tell my students, like, don't look at me up here. Like, let's just talk to each other. Forget that I'm up here because I don't want to remember that I'm up here. I, I want to be here talking with you. And so the things that we think about, like the, the presence that it takes to be in a classroom, I'm not sure I always have. And I know that personality wise, I didn't always have it. Um, so the challenges of, of, of literally being in the classroom have, have followed me. And at the same time, I love it. Uh, when it's working out nicely, like I, it's like a vibe and you, and you can really kind of float along with the students that's come with practice and over the years. And, and I will say, uh, even like the most surprising thing I realized, uh, there was an undergraduate class, two of them on acting. Um, and I took them, I think in my junior and senior year, and they were really helpful for me to like inhabit my body and to be like, not just comfortable with it. Um, but uh, have fun. And I, I, I actually, <laughs> I always come back to, and I don't know if you remember this, but we were in, uh, Davis Robin, Davis Robinson's, uh, acting class. And he had us do this exercise where he put a script on the board. And then you and I actually played out a scene that we made up in the midst of it. You remember this? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and like, man, if, if like how good it felt to come up with something in the middle of a class with a prompt and to know that like we created something new, but that like he curated or prepared the occasion for that. Um, it was awesome. Uh, and so the different classes have taken, 
uh, have helped me become more comfortable to understand like why didn't something work? I can be more self-reflective. And then after college, um, I did a, I worked at a summer program called Xflow. Um, actually, Stacy Lee uh, put put me in touch with people. She worked there as well, and I was on in the dean's office with her. And part of that job involved teaching a class on circuit skills. And so by then, I was already in grad school. I already knew that I had this kind of future ahead of me. But I got to teach something that was totally off topic. It wasn't literary. It was with like middle school students, uh, and to teach something. Uh, like circus skills, like juggling and face painting and, and to some extent fire breathing um, was uh, really cool. And, and to find ways of teaching that aren't traditional, let me stand in front of you and tell you, but instead let me actually make uh, an experience that'll be memorable and stick. Um, all, all these lessons kind of add up over the time. The, wow. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And, you know, hearing about, I appreciate you sharing like the type of work you're, you're having to do to make your calling go forward and sharing, sharing that vulnerability with your students, like what things are you working on? What is that like? Does that, um, what is that experience like sharing, sharing with them? I think it helps. I mean, I think I, honestly, I think, uh, as I said, the classroom space is the sacred space of not just vulnerability, but openness, willingness to uh, perhaps abandon something you, you held on as truth uh, and to take on not even a new truth, but just the belief that like, okay, what I knew doesn't have to be the only thing. Um, part of building that trust where we can all do that is just coming in, uh, and admitting even the limitations, right? I can say something as silly as, oh, I, I have, I'm self-conscious and I don't always want to be looked at. That's true. And it's also a little silly because uh, I'm there and I am being looked at. And I, you know, I, I got dressed the day because I knew I'd be in front of a classroom. But it's also, um, I think, even more captured when those, when those moments where you say something like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Right. Because they think, oh, the professor should always know everything. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like you have questions, you bring in curiosity, you're experiencing the world right now alongside all of us. And it sounds hokey. Sometimes I say it sounds hokey, but I do believe these things. Um, and you bring questions and your perspectives are honestly getting us all to look at this. You know, often it's a text or like a story or a material that we're looking at for the day. We're all looking at it differently. So there are times when I have to say, huh, I haven't thought about that. And it's true. Um, and so to kind of humble yourself in a way that isn't the performance of mastery, because I think teaching, if you are caught up in trying to be in charge of everything, it's the quickest way to have the class devolve. Um, wow. You know, if I may go, you know, kind of take a leap here, like it almost feels like you've, you've got your own flavor of teaching where there's improv as part of that where it's it's very you know i'm not i have not have not haven't been a student in your class but it sounds like a really fun class to be part of <laughs> you know improv is a good word for it um improv in the truest sense of it where you're back and forth with what's happening and you're kind of riding in the moment uh absolutely uh there are there are times where i literally am like frantically writing notes being like wow, I never thought of something like this before. And it might be really useful in research or writing, or even when I teach it in the future, being like, you know, last time I taught this, so-and-so said this. Wow. And what about like some of the other people in your life, like uh, friends or family or others? How did they support you in kind of pursuing your calling? <sighs> They're going to watch this, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, my family, friends, insofar as they are family and friends, I think by definition are supportive of you, right? And as people become less supportive, they somehow become less friendly or less family-like. So friends and family have supported me. I think there's always been a little confusion. Um, and I, I, I don't know if, it, if it's, uh, and by confusion, I mean like, oh, you know, Boston has a ton of schools. Why aren't you just working in Boston? Which is to say, why aren't you living near the family, for instance? Or this doesn't come as much from my best friends, but even the question of like, oh, are you looking to, to teach there? Um, part of that comes from just not entirely knowing the, the academic job market, things like tenure track and all these um, difficulties that are produced by this profession. And some of it is also just like a longing, right? They're, when they say that, what they're really saying is, I wish you'd be closer to home. Um, and so sometimes we talk around the thing we really want to say. So when I hear that, I go, there's a misunderstanding, but also I love you also, which is nice. Um, so they've been supportive in expressing um, their care and their, and their attention to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of my best friends have some really great curiosity, curious questions, uh, whether about the research or about like the job trajectory. Uh, and it's always nice to, to kind of walk through that with them so we can imagine what our futures look like together, even if we're thousands of miles apart. Yeah, I appreciate that you sharing your approach as well. I mean, I can imagine others being in similar situations where family members or it's just things can coexist um, while the, you know, things are happening as well. So, and, you know, with the, with the COVID and stuff, and um, are you having to change some of the things you're doing and, or how has it shaped, shaped things for you? Oh man. Uh, honestly, this is a huge answer. So I'm going to try and break it up a little bit and feel free to interrupt me because, you know, this is our conversation. <laughs> and I want to enjoy both of us here in this moment. COVID has been very difficult for a lot of people. And I think when you and I talked about this a little bit ahead of this recording, um, when I was thinking about, you know, how it's affected many people who have devoted their lives to doing various things, whether it be working in medicine or working in a classroom, or if you work in a restaurant, you know, you've taken your time and honed a particular set of skills um, that this pandemic has like radically altered your ability to do so. And I've reflected a lot on that um, just because we take our lives seriously, all of us, of course, and, and we devote our energies towards something. Um, and then we do so imagining what the next 10, 15 years might look like, right? We don't know where we'll be exactly, but we know what we'll be doing. And suddenly we were all asked simultaneously to rethink it. Um, and, and to get back to your previous question, we had each other to ask, but we also together didn't know. So it was like a kind of collective moment of being like, how do we go forward? Uh, so there was that element of it. Um, my, my now wife, my spouse, Emily, and I, you know, tongue in cheek have said that at the very least COVID has helped us, uh, because she's a professor, uh, in Louisiana. And so we've been living long distance. I'm in Virginia. And so when COVID started to, to take really root in March, it meant that I could go down and we moved her out of Louisiana. She's on sabbatical this year. Uh, and so in some ways it, it mm. allowed me to bring some family closer. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to hear you kind of 
process this as well. And you mentioned that you, you've self-reflected on this quite a bit, um, that you've self-reflected on this change. Um, I wonder if that's sort of a step people kind of have to take, just pause and think about what's going on. Um, and, and of course, um, that's, that's very interesting. You know, I, I think so. Right. I, I hear you say like people should take a pause and reflect. And then I immediately also think that that's a luxury that not everybody honestly has, uh, the ability to, to, to slow down. We live in a moment where, uh, our, our work, our livelihoods are like collapsing into one another. Um, or I should say our work is our livelihood, but our work is collapsing into our living. I mean, quite literally for many of us who have brought work home, um, but others who have, you know, been essential the whole way through and who have had no choice but to go out into work um, and to potentially bring that, that pandemic back. So there's been a, like a real serious collapsing and we've had to reconcile with that. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, understanding that a pause is not always possible but that it might be really helpful and necessary, especially as we're making this turn to kind of mental health concerns around, around the pandemic. Um, yeah. And I agree. I mean, a bit the pause, um, I agree with you. And I think the, also that there's a financial component, which is you pause for too long, you might not be able to pay your rent. Um, and that, that is a real situation as well. So, um, that's that's yeah i guess i hadn't thought about that too like somebody's pursuing their calling and uh especially i feel like in the artist realm uh, maybe you know kind of the income goes away and then really have to think about it yeah i you know i know i know some artists and and i will speculate on some others so if artists if you're listening and i get this totally wrong i do apologize but I, I know, especially if you're if you're creating art and you're trying to put something into the world, often it comes with another kind of job to supplement your income. And those kind of jobs might be, for instance, if they are in service, um, would have been severely affected. So uh, not only is your livelihood the thing that makes your ability to create art uh, affected, but even when you're stepping into the world, it'd be very difficult. Um, and for me, it is really difficult to imagine having to go out into this and not being just very, very upset all the time about it. Um, and, and this is beside or to the side of whether or not individuals choose to wear masks or not, right? Wear masks, please. But um, even just the idea that to live, you need to go put yourself in danger and there isn't a genuine recognition of it, at most pander. Um, I would, and then to, to have to hold that for me would be frustration and then turn and have to create art. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 15 years in terms of the art that's created. And that I, I look, I don't know, but, but yeah. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you mentioning the sort of the mental health component in this whole thing. I mean, um, yeah. I wonder how that looks like kind of living with that. Maybe I'll put the word high stress levels for, for, a, <laughs> for a period of time. Man. Um, Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, I think I might've cut you off and I'm sorry, it, it clipped the way audio wise, but, but I will say the living with high stress would, I, I, I'm seeing it firsthand. And this gets back to your original question too, which is how this is affected, um, how I do what I do. And it, it, I see it in my students, right? Um, I see it in my colleagues. I see it in myself, uh, for sure. So uh, having to adjust, um, I think having to reflect on why it is we do what we do uh, has been helpful for me. So 
if that means reducing you know, reading load to get to the heart of what we're trying to discuss, if it means reconsidering assignments or the weight we put on them, if it means taking something off the, the docket, like we're halfway through our term right now. And I'd say uh, I have maybe either reduced expectations or lightened deadlines uh, just so that there's a little more breathing, little more breathing room um, to come back to this idea of a pause for students to even um, collect themselves, reconsider what, what's next because they're there. It's very difficult. Um, and you know, as far as I can tell from my looking up and around, we're doing okay on campus in terms of numbers. Uh, I don't know how it, re- how it compares, but it feels like we're doing okay, uh, at least some days. And, and yet, there was a moment like two weeks ago where I just was talking to my students, also just having conversations with them. Like part of teaching is knowing how to uh, uh, use the classroom moment to do many things. And one of them is just to reflect together and be like, we thought this was going to be more fun. And, and, and I use that word intentionally. Like, I think we thought we would come back and after a few weeks, it would be normal. And suddenly there was a, a moment three, five weeks in where it was like, we're working really hard to stay, keep our numbers down to stay at this level, which is, you know, safe, masked up, distanced, less fun. And everyone was like, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be exactly this. And so we're like renegotiating our expectations a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's been helpful. This week was, was, I think, energetically a little better. We're maybe through midterms, but... Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting, this renegotiation of expectation. Um, what does that look like in practically speaking? I, I, I mean, I, I totally see that. Like, uh, oh, yeah, expecting this to be over in October. Oh, guess not. Okay, November. But then... Uh, as, and uh, yeah, what, what helps with sort of this re- renegotiation piece? Man, you tell me. Uh, <laughs> what helps? Well, you know what? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. I, I'll start. Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, um, I would say with communication, uh, like you were saying, like you're always as a, as a, as a professor, you're always communicating with your, with your, te- with your students and having those check-ins. Absolutely. Communication. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a, there's a there's a term for this, but when you find an activity that gets your mind outside of itself. So, um, for instance, we we read a short story by Herman Melville called Bartleby the Scrivener, uh, and at one point during the class, I just said, you know, let's take a pause, and I want everyone to think about what song would you put on a Bartleby the Scrivener playlist? So I had them all reflect like, and then tell us why, obviously. Uh, and it became a way to make, not light of, the, of, a, of a story, but to make fun with it and to bring it to our moment. And like, you know, students are suggesting songs and we're throwing them on the board and we're like, we're back in it together. Um, this is maybe the point. And so having an activity that is both on topic and off it at the same time as a way of, I mean, in the classroom, at least renegotiating our, our existence but how does that translate outside? How can we collectively uh, manage to inhabit and create spaces for the possibility of joy that then bring us back to ourselves and back to each other? I think that's the secret. I think that's the thing we need right now more than anything. Uh, and we're trying. I mean, I think all of us are trying. Um, you know, there there are <laughs> the great sourdough bake-off of... Uh, 
April 2020 when everyone was baking bread for a while. I think there was a, a, a collective feeling of wanting to do something and have fun with it uh, because what else can we do? That's a really good point. I appreciate that. What else can we do? I think, yeah, I mean, there's, and there's this creative, uh, create, I have a sense of creativity coming, coming out as you're doing these activities that are um, taking people out. Um, and the sourdough um, uh, bread bake off, bake off as well. So, um, so as we're wrapping up here, uh, any other thoughts or comments that come to mind? Hmm. You know, I've I've been wondering this because I've been following Shake the Cosmos since basically when you started it, um, but I might have missed the origin story. Like, what is the, what is doing this meant for you? I love that question. So I think for me, um, it really, for me, it, it creates a lot of fulfillment. Um, so I used to see fulfillment out of my job. And essentially, I, I was very focused on that. And over time, I realized that the job can change. And I had to find other places to fulfill. Uh, and I started journaling every morning. And um, there is a powerful thing that happens with journaling where ideas come together. And one time it was uh, Shake the Cosmos. And really, I really started putting myself out there. Um, and um, and it just feels fun. Like I think I'll compare it to the activity where you you know took your students out to an activity where you guys did something different. For me, I'm in a different state when I'm doing Shake the Cosmos stuff, whether having a conversation with you, Diego, or Sean. And that's how it is. It's just I'm writing it out. I'm creating and having fun. And there's no expectation of like what's going to happen next. It's just it's just having fun. That's right. Uh, reminds me of, of that summer school camp thing that I worked at where I taught circus skills and juggling and all this stuff. It was also a space where over the six to eight weeks that we were all there working, like personalities became, I became more myself than I realized or like I was sillier. Like one summer I wore a fedora, right? Like who knows, right? When <laughs> you kind of, you kind of take on a persona, but it's also a persona that's more like you, you feel like you put it on and you, you feel more comfortable in it. I, I like, I like your answer. Um, you know, we talked last, we similarly had on an awesome pattern shirt. Um, and I, I like, I like this Abhishek, you know, I've known you for gosh, almost 15 years now. It's amazing. So it's been really cool too, to just see like, not just shake the cosmos, but who you've become over the last few years. Uh, so I was just curious about like, what's driving you and that it's lovely. I appreciate that. And I think it's, it's a good lesson for me too, to kind of start sharing my, my story as well as I'm doing more of this, this stuff. So cool. You just were talking the other day, of course, share the stories. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you sound uh, like you wrap things up for real. I apologize for cutting you off. No problem. Um, I think it's great. Thank you. Um, Cool. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they heard something, you know, that they'd really want, um, want to hit you up for something, maybe anything really this, this goes live on the internet. So, um, the best ways you'll probably link my Instagram, which is locked. So I'm trying to think, uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, at laughter's fury, just like it sounds, uh, I took it from the book title that I'm working on. And, uh, you can email me at D M I L L A N at W L U dot E D U. Uh, that's my, uh, 
you know, professional email. Uh, check that one more regularly than the Gmail that just kind of catches spam at this point. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to, if you're listening, uh, check out the podcast description, the emails in there and to get in touch with Diego. And thank you so much for sharing uh, your calling and the, what you're uh, what you're having to adapt and really sharing your story. Thanks, Diego. Thanks, Abhishek, man. See you soon. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week.